If you have your Bible, please go to Matthew chapter 23, Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 13. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we're going to have the scripture on the screen. You can go ahead and read along there. So starting in Matthew uh, 23, starting in verse 13. If you got your Bible, look it up, and we will read uh, that scripture. Oh, you're going to be so glad you came to church today. Man, this is a hard one. All right. I was kind of hoping no one would show up because this is a difficult one today. So, uh, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the, the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. We're going to jump to verse 23. It says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean out the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. All right, let's pray and let's leave because I don't want to preach this. Okay. So I want to, again, encourage you next week. We're starting a brand new series uh, called I Give Up. It's about shedding off the old, like I said before. But today we're talking about hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Raise your hand if you're a hypocrite. Okay. okay. Well, good. Say, okay, so I don't need to preach it. I can just go home now because about half of you just raised, raised your hand. So that's, you actually made my point. That's the point of the message. So now I don't have to preach it anymore. But let me set it up like this. Some of you believe that our lives are divided in sections. I've heard this before. I've heard people talk about your, your life is, is divided in sections. And, and sometimes we talk about four sections of our life. There's the physical section. There is the relational section. There's the intellectual section. And there's the spiritual section. And so the goal in a person's life is to uh, be able to balance all of these parts of your life so that you can have a meaningful Life. So if you're uh, overemphasizing the physical, well, maybe you'll be uh, neglecting the, the relational. You don't want to overemphasize the relational because you might be neglecting the intellectual. You don't want to overemphasize the intellectual because you may be neglecting the spiritual and so forth. Uh, and so we want to find a balance in our, in our lives. Um, but as Christians, it's, it's different. As Christians, uh, we don't necessarily believe this. We, we think that our lives should be single, uh, singularly focused on Christ. So what we want to do is we want to find out what Jesus wants for us. We want to go into the scriptures and live our lives as a result of what God shows us. So we don't want to have sections in our life. We want to be just focused on what Jesus wants and do whatever it is that Christ wants us to do. And as a result of that, we'll find everything that we're looking for. We'll find purpose. We'll find joy. We'll find direction. We will find peace. But I would argue that even though we understand this, that our lives should be only focused on Jesus, I think that we still have a tendency to divide our Christian lives in at least two parts. Let's call this the, the secular life and then the spiritual life. So we got these two uh, sections of our, of our lives. 
You know, growing up as a Christian, uh, it wouldn't be strange for the youth leader to come up to me and say, hey, so how's, how's your spiritual life doing? And I knew immediately what he was talking about. It was how, how's your scripture reading going? Are you, are you praying? Are you doing your quiet time? How's your, how's your dealings with sin, right? And then we would talk about that for a little bit. And then, okay, now let's uh, move on to your, to your secular life. And I knew immediately what he was talking about. He was talking about, you know, your, your hobbies and school and all of these things that were, you know, part of the non-church aspect of, of your life. And so there was this assumption that your life was divided in, in two parts. There was the secular life and then there was the, the spiritual life. But, but what I want to argue this morning is that, is that if we have this division in our lives, if we, if we live our Christian life divided in, in two parts, then we cannot have freedom. We cannot have freedom if, if our lives are divided in, in, in spiritual and, and secular. And I want to make that argument here, hopefully, this morning. Because freedom is our thing. We talk about freedom, and that's not a political statement. We talk about the, the freedom that Jesus has to offer, and we want to live that freedom. We, we know that that freedom is, is available. Uh, Luke 4, 18 says this. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. In church, we speak about freedom. We speak about this freedom that is available for us through Christ. John 8, 36, uh, 36 says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, this is, this is a big deal because this freedom is available to us through, through Christ. I heard a pastor once talk about what this, uh, this freedom means to a Christian. He was making a, a parallel between uh, the metamorphosis uh, of a caterpillar. And he was like, I think it was Francis Chan who had a mega church uh, in Simi Valley a while back called Cornerstone. And so he wrote a bunch of books. And one of his messages, he was talking about this freedom. And he was, he was talking about the life of a Christian. And he's like, so your life as a Christian is like you're, you're living your life like a caterpillar. And he kind of made that movement, like, you know, kind of just trying to, to move around and trying to get through life, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, you just like, this is your life. And all of a sudden you take a nap, right? And you take a really long nap, right? Sleep, and then you wake up, and then you look, and you're like, Shut up. What is this, right? So then you start, like, yeah, I got winged now. And then all of a sudden you're flying. And you can't believe what you are going through. Imagine the life of a, of a caterpillar. So he talks about that. And he talks about the, the freedom that, that is available for us. And what happens as a result of our past life. And then we walk into this freedom that Christ has to, to offer and so, so this is what we proclaim as Christians. We talk about this freedom that is available in Christ. Christ died and rose to make us free. So my question to you this morning and my question to myself as well is, is are you? Are you living in that freedom that Christ has to offer? And, and what I mean by, by freedom is not, is not do whatever you feel, like Try that for a while and see how free you end up as a result of that. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, most of you guys understand this. Freedom means living your life in the full potential that God put in you 
that's the, that's the free life. Is, is life to, to the full? So my question to you again is, are you, am I living actually that, that freedom? So I would like to take you back for, for a moment that you would think about the moment when you came to Christ. The moment when you came to Christ, when you said yes to Jesus and you started walking in your Christian life. What happened then? You see, because this is a lot, of, a lot of people's stories, and I've, I've heard this story in different ways. It's like you were walking with your own, like you were doing your own thing, like you were living a sinful life or just doing whatever you wanted to do. And then somebody maybe talked to you or you came to church or whatever, and, and, and all of a sudden you were offered this freedom. Maybe you heard a message and you're like, you're going you're gonna to receive freedom in Christ. All you have to do is follow him. And so you were in this prison of, of sinfulness, and then you, you were offered this freedom, and you accepted this freedom, and you walked in this supposed freedom that was offered to you. But then as time went by, you realized that, that you're not really free. That you, you, you switched from, from one sort of prison, let's say, the prison of sinfulness, and you just transferred over to a different prison of legalism. It's all about rules and regulations. So, so where's the freedom in that when it's all about do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. So my question to you again this morning is that, are you free? So what I want to propose to you this morning is that one of the reasons we don't live this freedom that is available to us is because we have divided lives. We have two sections in our lives. We have two sections in our life. We have our spiritual life and we have our secular life. We have compartments in our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but I love compartments. Like, I love compartments. Like, in my personal, like, like organizing my stuff, I love it. Like, in my closet, I've got compartments for everything. I have a section for my gym clothes. I have a section for my pants. I have a section for my button-up shirts. I have a section for my T-shirts, for my shorts. Any of you guys with me? Like, I love having things organized. In fact, I bought something recently that just changed my life. I want to show you a picture. Okay. That's for my shoes. I bought two of those. And I just, I love just like everything is, or I love having these things in my life because they give me a sense of control. Um, compartments are fine for clothes. That's fine. You're not supposed to have compartments in your relationship with God. See, this is how it works. Take sin, for example. Okay. Take sin. How many of you guys sin? Just me? Okay, many of you guys. Okay, most of you guys. Um, some of you guys don't sin, which is crazy to me, but that's fine. I mean, I'm, you know, um, so we all sin, right? So some of us have that like go-to sin, like that sin that we're really struggling with, right? We have that sin and, um, we leave God out of that. We're like, okay, this is my secular time. Okay, so, so I'm going to leave you out of this while I'm doing my thing. And when I'm done doing my thing, then we'll talk. But this is me right now. This is my secular time. This is the section in my life where I'm just, it's just me. Okay, you can stay out for a little bit and just wait for me while I go to that place. Wait for me while I have this reaction. Wait for me while I take this drug. Wait for me while I look at this website. Wait for me while I have this fit of rage. Wait for me while I hang out with those friends. Wait for me while I participate in this little piece of gossip. Wait for me while I chime in into those types of conversations. Wait for me while I cheat a little bit on my taxes. And then I'll get back to you. Let me finish here. We'll talk later. 
I'm in my secular life now. I'll get back to you when I'm in my spiritual life. So here's the problem. I, I grew up in a Catholic culture. I wasn't Catholic, but I grew up in a Catholic culture. In South America and Chile, I grew up as a missionary there. And me and my friends, they had Saturday night, which was party night. Do whatever you want. Do whatever you feel because the next day you're going to go see the priest. You're going to confess your sins. He's going to give you a few Hail Marys, right? You do the thing that will be directly proportionate to the sins that you have committed, and then you're good to go. It's a pretty good system, you know? But the reality is that not only is this not ideal, but God opposes this. He opposes it. Why do I know that he opposes this? Because this is what he had against the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the kings of compartmentalization. That's a mouthful. Should have not have written that word, of compartmentalizing their lives. He would call them hypocrites. He says, you are hypocrites. Hypocrite literally means actor. You are playing a part. You are playing a part. You are whitewashed tombs. So you're, hey, you look great on the outside, but on the inside, guess what? You're actually dead. You clean the outside of the cup. Hey, on the outside of the cup, it looks great, but on the inside, it's, it's moldy. Like, why, do you, why are you just focused on the exterior? You are blind people leading the blind. You see, what I used to believe is that what bothered Jesus about the Pharisees was their sinfulness. It's not. Jesus died for sinful people. That's all of us. It's not, that's not what bothered Jesus about the Pharisees. What bothered him about the Pharisees was the fact that they had a double life. A double life. A.K.A. hypocrisy, right? And that's exactly what we're doing when we compartmentalize our lives. We're playing a part. Secular, we're one way. Spiritual, we're another way. In essence, in essence, here's what we're saying. We're saying, God, there are part of my life, there are certain parts of my life where I'm going to let you in, and there are other parts of my life where I'm going to keep you out. You know what that says about you and me? Not just that we're wrong, but it also says that we don't know God. We don't know God. Because if we actually believe that he is omnipresent, that he is everywhere, you will understand how absurd that thought is. Oh, I'm going to leave you out like I have the power to do that. Psalm 139 says this, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. You see, the reason why I say that living a compartmentalized life means that you don't know God is because if you believe God is actually everywhere, you will understand how absurd it is to compartmentalize our lives. Here's what I mean. As a kid, as a kid when, I, when I played, um, when I played um, hide and seek, here's what I thought. I'm like, I'm just going to close my eyes. I hear playing, I'm just going to go like this. Because I thought that if no one could see me, I mean, if I, could, if I, I thought that if I couldn't see anyone, that they wouldn't going to be able to see me either. Have you ever had that thought? I'm just going to act like God's not here. Hey, because if I try hard enough, he'll probably stay out of my life, and I can just do my own thing. It's either this, 
or we have huge egos. Because if you actually believe you have the power to decide when to let God in and when to let him out, like really? You see, the presence of God used to be in a physical location, in a specific piece of real estate. That's where the presence of God used to be. Like, we know that, right? I mean, we've learned about this in the Old Testament. You know, there was this physical location where the presence of God was. Um, but something happened when Jesus died on the cross. Matthew 27, 51 says this. This is at that moment when Jesus died on the cross, when he gave up his spirit, Right? The current of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks split. What happened there? Well, now we have access to God, and now God is not located in a physical location, but he is everywhere. So what happened to the temple? 1 Corinthians 6, 19. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. So what, what am I trying to say here? Old Testament, God was over us. New Testament, God was with us. In our present period of time, God is in us. We cannot escape the presence of God. He's always with us. Every single moment, not just around us, he is inside of us. There are no longer compartments in your life. God is not only omnipresent, but he's also in you. So the problem is we have compartmentalized, when we... When we compartmentalize our lives, we create an imaginary separation between spiritual and secular. It's imaginary. It's not there. Because God is with us wherever we go. And so my hope is that this will help, this understanding in your heart, that you will, that you will receive this. And that this understanding will help you to be free from sin. You see, the main reason why we compartmentalize is because we do things that God doesn't approve, and we know that. We know that. We know that, he, that there's things that we do that he does not approve. So we want to leave him out. In fact, I would argue that the main reason we have a hard time with certain sins isn't because we lack willpower. Like, oh, I just can't, it's so hard, you know, to, to get rid of this sin. I don't think it's a willpower problem. I think it's a faith issue. I think it's a faith issue. Because if we really believe that God was present, I think it would affect our sin life. Let me give you an example. Think about your sin, that sin that is really hard for you to stop committing. That sin, maybe, you're, maybe it's a tax issue, maybe it's financial, maybe it's gossip, you know, maybe you're looking at porn, maybe it's, I don't know what it is, but there's something there. And let's say you're, this is, you're, you're, you're committing that sin. Imagine you're committing that sin. And in that moment, Jesus walks in. It's like, hey, what's up? What, what are you, how's, how are you going to react? Oh, hey, what's going on? Like, well, right? Because Jesus walked in. He just walked in. So you're going to stop. You see what I'm saying? It's a faith problem. Because if we actually believed that God is with us in the same way that I see Sam right in front of me right now, if I actually believe that in that same way, that reality of the presence of God everywhere, it would really help us. In dealing with sin. So here's something that I shared with someone that was really helpful for this person who was struggling with porn addiction. It's probably the best, one of the best advices I've ever given in dealing with porn addiction. He's like, this is my pattern. I'm tempted, I sin, and then I ask for forgiveness. 
and then I'm tempted, and then I sin, and then I ask for forgiveness. And so there's this vicious circle, just this pattern over and over and over and over and over again. And I'm like, why do you leave him out? Why do you, why do you wait? Bring God. Like, don't even bring him. Like, he's there all the time. So just acknowledge the fact in that moment when you are about to do the things that you know you shouldn't do, bring him into that moment. Into the, bring him, don't leave, leave him out. Bring him in. Bring him in. Acknowledge his presence. Dwell on his presence. This changed his perspective and helped him win his battle against porn. See, brothers and sisters, this is my, this is my point today. God is here. He's here. He's not waiting for you to let him in. He's everywhere, period. So what you're doing is basically acknowledging something that has been true from the beginning. You see, God is not meant to be a part or a compartment in your life. He's meant to be in your whole life. Like, don't ever shut him out. Even if you're embarrassed about the things that you, and you know he doesn't approve, don't shut him out. How is God supposed to do his work in you if you're not letting him into the hardest parts of your life? Do you think he's here to judge you? His judgment went on, fell on, on Christ. If you receive Jesus, you walk with Christ, and God's here to convict you to make your life what it's supposed to be. But you have to let him in. You have to let him go in and do the work with you. This is how you achieve the freedom that Jesus promises. No more compartments, no more shutting God out, no more playing a part, no more hypocrisy with him. I'm going to end with this. So as I've said a few times already, Jesus is everywhere. And he is here now, right now. Right now, he's here. He's here, here, right here with you. Now, in this moment, let that sink in for a minute. The presence of God is here. And he'll be with you when you leave, too, by the way. You see, here's the thing that, that gets me sometimes. Is that many times you think that the presence of God is in this space. And so you have made a, a separation between outside and inside. So you walk into the space, and there's the lights, and there's the music, and there's the preaching, there's the Bible. There's this spiritual atmosphere. So you're walking into the presence of God. I want to tell you that's not the way it is. God is here, he's outside, he's in your house, he's in your heart, he's with you all the time. I don't understand when some people will say, will say, I have to be okay to enter this place. Like, I'm not ready to go to church. I just, I'm just, I don't feel like I'm ready. If I walk into the church, then the roof is going to fall on me because of all the stuff that I've done. Right? I've heard that, I've heard people say that. It's like having a car accident. Like someone, like, like you need help. Like you were in a car accident. Your arm is hurt and you're bleeding out. It's almost like saying, that person needs to go to the hospital. No, no, no. Just, I'm good. Like, let me, let me just fix this myself. And when I feel better, then I'll go to the hospital. I'm like, no. You need to go to the hospital now. This is urgent. Your arm's falling off, dude. You need to be there. You need help. Some people say you have to be ready to go to church. I'm like, what do you mean by ready? I don't even know what that means. I'm not ready. Christ makes me ready. Church is not meant to be a social club that only exists for its members, but a hospital to heal the sick, to restore the broken, 
to bring hope to the hopeless. And that's all of us. You see, I dream of a church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a few things here. I was thinking about this this week. He, he, I dream, this is the church that I dream about. I dream of a church that understands that our job is not to point out people's sin, but to point sinful people to Jesus. I dream of a church where, where it's okay to not be okay. I dream of a church where we don't have to have all the answers or agree on everything to do life together. I dream of a church where we understand that we're all on a journey, but none of us has reached the destination yet. I dream of a church where we understand that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. I dream of a church where, where we love sinful people because sinful people is all that there is. I dream of a church where, where we don't divide our lives into secular and spiritual, but share a common space of imperfect people serving a perfect God. But it's going to take us to stop the nonsense. Like, we're sinful, and we need Jesus. And we're, we're, we're in this together. And life is hard. I want us to build this church together. This is the church that's in the heart of Jesus. This is the church Christ died for. And this is the church that I want to live my life for. Let's pray together. So, Lord God, we, uh, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, God, because you have reminded us that, that our lives should be solely focused on you. In this moment, we let you into all the areas of our lives. We recognize that, that you don't approve us acting like you're not a part, or us acting like you're not a part of certain areas of our lives when you see everything. So this morning, God, we... We take off our masks and we present ourselves just the way we are. I may be standing here and worship team may be on stage or we may have different roles in the church, but we're all, we're all the same. We are desperate for you, Lord. We don't want to put on a show. We just want to recognize that we need you every single day, just like air. That's it. So I pray, God, if there's, if there's anyone here who has felt the, the need to present some sort of a show or a persona, or that we'll, that we'll not do that. That we'll realize that we just need you. We pray, God, that we'll, you'll allow for all of us to, to come into those dark areas of our life those sinful areas that we're ashamed of, that will let you in there and allow for you to do the work there. God, this morning we repent from compartmentalizing our lives. We want to let you into every single area this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.